Tim Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest tonight is Kenny Klein. Kenny, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. So tell our listening audience a little bit about Kenny Klein. So uh, I'm the managing partner of Jack Media, which is a company that uh, we run four brands, really. Uh, Sleepopolis, Barbend, Mattress Clarity, and Security Baron. Uh, so confusion, always when I tell people what I do is they think we have these clients and we do web design, we do marketing, we do this. We do do all these things, but kind of for ourselves. We own our brands, we create the brands, we operate the brands, um, and then we monetize via various uh, things. So that's me, uh, professional. I started the company about five years ago uh, with my business partner, Joe Auer. Uh, other than that, I reside in Brooklyn, New York uh, with my wife and my uh, pretty new baby, 10 months old. She just uh, stood for the first time uh, a few minutes ago. So oh, I'm, wow. pretty, I'm excited about that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of me in a in nutshell. And uh, you, like most of us, um, I think you married up on the food chain because it looks like to me online, your wife is a very accomplished artist. That she is. That she is. Yeah. Uh, she shows me the other side of New York, the more interesting side, I should say. Uh, <laughs> Than the, than the tech and the media side. So we, uh, I get to see a lot of cool stuff with her, uh, for sure. I think there was one, some, somewhere I read that she actually had, had uh, been involved in or actually had her own show here in Richmond, Virginia. Is that? She did, yeah. We, we went there um, about three years ago. You know the Quirk Hotel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so she had a show there uh, when they were first opening. Um, and we hadn't been to Richmond before, but it was great. It was a great time, a beautiful hotel and a great experience. Uh, it is an interesting city. It's, uh, it's actually where I'm, where I'm hosting the podcast from is Richmond, Virginia. So mm -hmm. welcome back anytime. But so tell us a little bit, let's dive a little deeper into uh, Jack Media. And so the, I mean, it's, it's interesting that it's actually a media company that, that owns its own properties in essence. But right. so you don't do any work for, for outside clients. It's all internal. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we got when we first got started, we bootstrapped the company. And so we did have clients early on. Doesn't help with the confusion. So we have some SEO clients and digital marketing clients, uh, just because we didn't want to uh, take investor money, kind of be our own bosses. But the goal was always to build our own brands. And so uh, we took a lot of that client money early on, just took whatever we needed as uh, founders to pay the bills and took the rest and built these sites. And the, the second that one, our first site was making enough money where we didn't need the clients, then we, then we kind of cut them loose. Um, just kind of like how we prefer to do things. It feels more like building mm -hmm. uh, a media company and we get to keep building the same thing over and over rather than jumping between a lot of different projects. Um, as well as both uh, Joe, my, my co-founder and I are not great salespeople or account manager people. We don't enjoy it really. And so the client part um, you know, client work in SEO can be a real difficult thing because it's like you sell it and you're like, hey, in eight months, something <laughs> exactly. good probably will happen, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but who knows? And so uh, we made it through, not something we really enjoyed, but we're glad that we were able to use those funds and kind of create the company uh, as it is now. And now uh, our first brand was Mattress Clarity. So we were reviewing mattresses, making um, recommendations for mattresses that we like and we use that success to start a few of the other sites as well um, so now we're up to the four brands and eyeing a new brand maybe um, maybe in 2020 so when you launch a new brand like 
I'm, I'm assuming that you've done a pretty extensive research kind of feasibility study. All, all the things that you learned from the first four brands that made them successful, you say, say, okay, can we replicate this in, in say another industry or another right. you know, specific niche? But it almost looks like to me, when I look at, at uh, Jack Media, it's, it's almost like a, a niche site and an authority site kind of had a baby. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, it's, I mean, it is almost the best of both worlds, is it not? It is. That, that is our intention, especially with our most recent sites. Um, so Barbends might be the greatest, best example where it's a, a weightlifting site um, for people that are pretty darn serious about weightlifting um, to the extent that I, I'm in the gym a couple of times a week, but still a, a lot of the content on Barbend is kind of beyond me. So it's looking at like uh, the CrossFitter, the like serious power lifter, the Olympic weightlifter, like a strong man or like a really serious athlete. Um, which sounds like a pretty niche audience, but it's a, you know, it's a pretty broad audience when you put all those things together, uh, at least a couple million people in the U S alone. Um, but that's how we think about an audience is those people. Um, so we don't think about like a certain product or we don't think about a certain course or a certain, whatever we think about, how can we serve these people best and deliver them content, usually free content initially. Um, and then we know once we have that passionate audience kind of locked in and loving us that we can monetize from there. Um, and hopefully in a way that delights them and that they, you know, are excited about. So when we think about a new brand, that's what we think about is we, we try to find those audiences that we can kind of put together in, in one frame of mind and really understand them and deliver them something that they can't get anywhere else. I mean, I, I knew a little caveat. I knew coming into this interview that you were going to say so many things that were going to cause me to ask follow-up questions that I was really going to have to rein myself in to keep it so we can finish the interview actually tonight. But so as you're, as you were talking, I was thinking of, of the book, you know, feed a starving crowd that mm -hmm. or just the whole, the whole concept behind that you find the, you find the crowd that's hungry and you find, find out what they want to eat. And right it's an interesting, interesting concept instead of saying, okay, I'm interested in, you know, this, this niche or this, you know, specific product or whatever. It's almost like you're reverse engineering it from finding out what the crowd is asking for. And then, then we kind of find that, you know, find that hamburger that they, that they're looking to eat, you know, exactly. Yeah. So how did you, I mean, you didn't wake up one day and just say, hey, I'm really passionate about mattresses. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, is you know you hear you hear people talk all the time that are especially in the startup world you have to be passionate about whatever it is because mm -hmm. that's the only thing that will carry you through the dips or the troughs or whatever that you're going to experience right this almost seems like the the antithesis of that so it really to you does it does it really matter what the what the the market is or the product or whatever you're trying to review how how important is that um, to me, it's not important. We just like building, you know, we built multiple sites and I dare say I'm not personally that interested in any of them. Um, and mattresses particularly is an interesting one because no one's interested in mattresses, like you said. Um, until you need one. Until you need one. You <laughs> might be real interested for about a month. About a month, that's right. And so no one's passionate about mattresses. Uh, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you might be real interested in it for about a month and then you never want to think about it again for 10 years. Uh, but it's still, we call it a passionate audience because you're very, very passionate about that search for about a month. Um, and so that's how we identified that first one. We were looking for these audiences that were really 
engaged and, and very underserved on the internet. And we, we explored a number of them. That, it wasn't like that was the definite one that we were going to do at the, at the foundation of the company. And there's still like a bunch out there that I think are really underserved that we, that we have our eye on. Um, but uh, we looked at mattresses, and at the time, uh, there was really only one mattress review site, if you can believe it. Now it's a, a pretty competitive space, and there's been such a boom in the mattress industry that, that I, online is a totally different thing. So if I looked at the industry today, I would not call it underserved at all. It's probably, right. probably the opposite. Um, but back in the day, there was just one guy that was reviewing mattresses, had been for 15 years or whatever, and uh, people liked him and were very happy with what he was doing. But we said, well, Worst case, we're going to be number two and, uh, you know, start there and build a decent business, hopefully, and um, and ended up being a, a good pick early on as the industry boomed and we were kind of sitting there uh, in the middle of it. Was that your first, uh, I guess, authority site or first review site that you created? Yeah, that was our very first site that we created. Um, we had a couple of others after that that we went on and and quickly uh, squash because we, we realized we didn't have the time to focus on multiple sites at the beginning when there was just uh, the couple, two of us sitting there. Um, but uh, that was the first one we actually created and went on to be the most successful one of them uh, early on. So let's hit the rewind button just a little bit and go back five years, 10 years, whatever that, that time frame would be. So how did you end up kind of landing in this, in this spot or landing in this, the startup phase of Jack Media? So previously, I had had a startup called MedPreps, and this um, was a company that I had kind of created on the side early on before I knew what I was doing, and had built it up, and it looked like it was going to be a real nice big company, and then boom, one day, Google squashed it, and I didn't know why, I didn't know anything about SEO or what I was doing, but there's this update that's called Penguin in 2012 mm -hmm. that just kind of ended that business um, pretty quickly. And so I ended up investigating SEO pretty thoroughly after that, just to understand what had happened and then kind of understood it better. I was like, oh, you could build a business based on SEO if you were doing it right. Um, rather than, you know, I'd hired an SEO firm and they'd done a, <clears throat> a bunch of stuff that you shouldn't do. Right. Uh, and so just building the site, um, the next round of sites after that were small test sites on my own. Then I met my partner, Joe, we, we were in business school together and he, was familiar with SEO, but um, just really didn't have that much experience doing it. So at the time, I was probably more knowledgeable than him, but he was really excited. So we got together and we said, why don't we, you know, kind of try something out, see how we like working together, started Mattress Clarity, and it was a success. And then we kind of just kept on building from there. Um, so it wasn't our necessarily a grand plan at the beginning. It was just kind of a test. And we it was at the end of school and we we're like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we made this site and we didn't have to go get, you know, corporate jobs like everyone does out of business school. If we could <laughs> kind of make this little site and, you know, see what happens and uh, ended up being a really great thing. And so that your first one was a success. You, then you said you had a couple of, couple of, of sites that either took too much mm -hmm. time or, I mean, were they working? You just didn't have the time to do it or were they, were they, I mean, it's kind of like we hit on one, we missed on two, then we hit on the next four type thing. Right. I think, you know, it's hard to miss in this industry if you're consistent and you keep building, but it takes a lot Glad of you effort. qualified that because yeah. there's a lot of people <laughs> missing in this industry. Well, yeah, you only miss when you, when you stop, but it takes a long time, you know, and 
So even now we're very, very good. We have a lot, a lot of resources that we deploy, but we still look at like a two year time span to really get traction uh, in a new site. And mm -hmm. so, and that's deploying, you know, a team of people and our expertise and all of that. So, um, so it, we're deploying all these resources and we're, and we're taking our, our expertise and applying it, but we're still looking at a two year time frame to like really, we call it break even after two years. That doesn't mean we're making a killing on a new site. Um, granted, we're going after pretty competitive um, niches at this point. Um, so there are some where you can maybe be a little more casual, be a little bit newer to the game and have some success. But really, if you want to scale and go after those big, big, not even the biggest out there, there are some areas I wouldn't touch still because I'm just not uh, up for the challenge yet. But for the medium size to bigger ones that we play in, it still takes quite a while and quite a lot of effort to be successful. But in the earlier days, we weren't as good as we are now. We didn't have the resources we, we had now. And, and so uh, we chose some that I'm sure would have been successful if we had had all of our resources, but mm -hmm. at the time we just didn't. But to your runway that you've got to kind of underwrite, that's, that's pretty difficult to, to do. I mean, to, you know, to have to be able to, to support that before it actually starts generating, you know, substantial revenue that's 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 quite a long runway i mean how did you how did you in essence underwrite your first one so our first site that we started we had those uh clients at the time that helped us pay the bills but i mean those days looking back they were they were stressful uh because we're doing we're essentially running two companies at once you have to go get clients you have to make those clients happy you have to do the actual work then you have to build the sites also and so it was a split focus um and you know, just took a lot of work at the beginning, but that's how we chose to do it. Uh, so having clients early on, and as well as running the sites, is essentially two jobs at the same time. Um, and so that's how we hit the two-year runway: is we just uh, kind of took money from one business and put into another, and then once we were profitable with that first business, we killed the uh, the client side and just kind of grew based on um, based on the success of that first site. So did the first site take two years before it, I mean, or was it the competition just so low and, and, you know, SEO was easier to, I guess, to manipulate um, mm. early on and, and you started seeing some success earlier because it was lower competition or how does that exactly work with, with a, an authority site or a review site like this? Yeah, I think we were lucky at the time in that it ended up being a pretty big opportunity, but low competition. There aren't many of those left, if any. If there were any, I, uh, I would probably have a new site focused on that. Um, but it was a different time. You know, we started in 2014, which, which isn't that long ago, but in terms of this type of thing actually is a pretty significant uh, difference. A lot of more professional people out there, um, you know, being more intentional with their blogging and their, and their content creation. Um, and so initially it was profitable, um, quicker than two years, but it was also just two guys running it entirely themselves. And so now for each site, we have, uh, a video person or two, we have a designer, we have an extra writer or two, all that, those things. And so, um, when I say two years of profitability to get to profitability, it means funding all those people sure. as well yeah. so at a different scale. Um, so we didn't hit that level of profitability for probably, probably still a year, year and a half um, with that first site. Um, but we didn't have all those things at the beginning. We hadn't really developed the current way that we do things uh, at the beginning of the company.
Now, are these sites primarily like product review sites? Are they blog articles about the industry? Are they a combination of the two? Or are they, are they interviews with, with experts in the field? Is it just, are they primarily, primarily. content driven or how does that work? It, yeah, it's really a mix. Um, with, on all of our sites, we do a lot of other content other than product reviews. Mm -hmm. um, it, we do like to do industry news for each of our sites. We like to do general guides. Um, we like to do just kind of like a lot of evergreen, interesting content. Uh, the monetization aspect is driven by the product reviews, but we like to create kind of a comprehensive site that addresses our audience uh, as completely as we can. And the revenue is driven through advertising, through affiliate links, through, I mean, all yeah. the above? All the above. We do sponsored posts, mm -hmm. um, sponsored content. Uh, so those are the big three. And we're, we're just beginning to dip our toe into other things. Um, you saw we launched a podcast. So right. that'll be a sponsorship model. And we're going to launch some courses as well in the next year. So without, uh, and I don't, I don't want to ask you to, to reveal your secret sauce, but without revealing too much of, of your, your secret back office you know, magic that you've got going on. What, I mean, just from a general standpoint, what are you looking for in, in when you're, when you're looking at a new area, what's, what are some of the, I guess the big rocks that you may, you may look at for an industry? Is it, is it, I mean, are, are you looking at keywords? Are you looking at competition? Are you looking at interest? Mm -hmm. I mean, what are some of the major things? So I think the two big pillars are interest and competition. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example, like the most well-known um, affiliate industry or ranking industry is like in credit cards. Um, so you look at that one, you say there's insane interest of people looking for credit cards and points and all this stuff. And so it's got the interest component, but then you go and you look and there's 20 massive companies, um, you know, doing very, very advanced things to bring you that content. So it's right. like, all right, well, too much competition. Um, or you might see there's a lot of sites or a lot of searches with no competition, but not a lot of interest either. So you can, and this is a strategy that some people deploy um, where you put together a lot of low searches and end up, um, you know, making, getting a decent bit of traffic by going low competition. It's definitely an interesting business model, but um, you know, if you want to build a real site at scale, you have to go after big terms of big traffic. Um, and so we like to put those two together and like, I'll give you an example of a site I really want to do. Um, and we don't hide secret sauce just because we know when we go after it, you know, most people think I'm crazy. Uh, everyone at school thought I was insane for doing a mattress review site and, uh, and maybe they were right. But, um, the next one I think is insane, uh, that, that nobody agrees with me on, I should say is, uh, is plants and plant care, which I think is a really ripe market because there's so much interest and so many people are looking for various ways to care for their plants or how to propagate them or do various things with their plants, um, either at home or in a garden setting. Um, but there aren't that many people providing like really advanced content. There are some like, you know, people putting out good content, I think that are more amateurs, um, not taking away from that, but they're not doing advanced like digital stuff. They don't have video teams that, that, that are evident. Um, and so I look at that and I'm like, oh, I can easily put together a, a YouTube channel on the site that can you know, quickly amass a lot of 
traffic in this area. So my partners disagree, but that's like my personal top pick at the moment. So we'll see if we end up doing it or not. <laughs> Are you familiar with uh, Ryan Levesque? Yeah, yeah, I love Ryan. So, I mean, what didn't he get his big start from Orchid Care? He did. He did. I mean, it's just as you were as you were said that. I mean, everything you're saying is like triggering these little you know anecdotes, and I'm thinking of all these things that you know these little stories that that either from prior podcasts or you know just just kind of spending time online. But so, yeah. how do you see how do you see the the space that you're in the the brand sites that you're in? What is it going to look like in the next I guess iteration? What's the you know the next step in in internet media how are you going to have to transition moving forward yeah it's it's an interesting question and it's it's an interesting time in media because so many of the platforms have matured without something new really coming up um which hasn't happened in the last few years like uh last five to ten years there's always something new and and it hadn't quite matured yet so like facebook it it's pretty tough and to get organic reach in Facebook is almost impossible at this point. Google, um, you know, is big, but it's matured. There's opportunity there, but you have to be great. There's something like podcasts, which is, it's not new, but maybe it's not quite mature. Right. Um, which we're going into that heavily. So that's something new that we're doing, um, that we don't quite understand yet. Um, as well as others, as well as maybe a, a pro like yourself, but, um, we know that's a good area to grow into is to voice and how to interact with all of those things. But beyond that, um, you know, we're trying to do to, to leverage our existing platforms better, but it's a weird time where I don't have a sense of like, what's next exactly. You have those things, these like, oh, like virtual reality is coming and, and voice is coming, but I don't have a sense of like exactly how that's going to look, especially for like brands like ours. But the nice thing about it, I mean, it seems like even though you, you know, you've grown a pretty substantial team, it, you, you appear to me to be very, um, fluid, very flexible. I mean, able to kind of pivot. And I think that's, that's going to be key in, in whatever the next iteration looks like, because I mean, it looks like you're very responsive to kind of the market shift and you know, what the market tells you. So right. that's going to be interesting to, to see. I mean, the question I keep asking myself is what's the, what's, what's next after email? Right. You know, email has been so consistent for so long and it's still so, you know, ubiquitously used, but what's next? I mean, there's got to be another, a better version of, you know, email 15.0 or, or whatever that, or maybe it's just yeah. 2.0. Maybe it's, it's always been in the 1.0 version, you know, up to yeah. this point. And e email is a fascinating one because it's so powerful still. Mm -hmm. And 10 years ago, everyone was writing about how it's dead it's how it's over. And, yeah. and you know, you would probably find an article written today how email is dead, but it's like for a lot of businesses, it's it's become even more important as organic reach on some of these social platforms uh, has has been harder to attain. I think I think it was MySpace and Vine that was throwing shade at email. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who got the last laugh? So. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell me, let's take a little deeper dive here, and and um, so what what kind of drives you as a as far as like inspires you who's who's somebody online that that you would say really has been an inspiration to you know cause you to really want to dive deep into kind of the digital space and mm -hmm. is there just one person that you can you can kind of think of i think uh, a guy i really like you already mentioned is ryan uh mm -hmm. who um 
I just love how he builds his brands and like he in some ways is even more niche than us, you know, like Orchid Care is his most famous site. I know he's got a bunch of others. Um, and he just is so good at building audiences and serving them really well. And like the next iteration of his business now is helping other people serve their audiences similarly with his software and with his training and all of that, which is really cool. Um, but I followed him for a long time. Um, and just, I think, uh, he's, you know, a really authentic person that, that, um, thinks about things in the right way. And I like his tactics too, because, um, he is, I guess at this point, kind of a guru or occupies the same space, but he teaches methods that last forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, or a mindset that lasts forever versus like, Hey, here's how you, you know, Snapchat ads this month, you know, here's how you do it versus, uh, he's more like has a strategy that lasts a long time. Maybe the exact implementation changes year to year, but the mindset never really, um, never, never really changes. And so that's something we really wanted for our business was to, uh, grow in a similar way over time and in a predictable way without like jumping on everything that was hot that, month or that period of time. Right. Right. Is there a, uh, is there a particular quote that, that you kind of have taped up on your, on your MacBook somewhere <laughs> printed on the wall in a stencil or something? Is there one thing that inspires you there? Uh, I'm not a big quote guy, you know, I, I've, I've been asked that a bunch. I never, I've never answered honestly that no, I know, but <laughs> maybe you've got um, one now it's design and build. You yeah, no, that's great. I need something behind me to, uh, I just have a, a white wall. So that's <laughs> right. The next podcast episode, right? next interview, you can say my, my quote is design and build. Yeah. I like I that one. Just I thought like about that. that one night on my own. So, <laughs> so if you could kind of go back, go back five years, 10 years, whatever it is, and, and you had a little, you know, you had a little time with kind of the earlier Kenny. What, what's say one piece of advice that you would, you would give yourself that you think would have been a game changer and would have really made life a lot easier the last five years? I, I think the absolute best thing I learned two years ago, but this was very, very important, was you have to bring on, when you're building your team, you have to bring on the very best people possible and invest in them as much as you can. Uh, I think early on, it was tough when we were scaling the business and you know, when you're bootstrapping, you always feel like you're out of money. Um, mm. Even today, I'm like, oh, I'm out of money. It's not true, but it's like, just like a mindset you have um, to, uh, with that business. And you like wanna count every dollar. And so I went out and hired people and, and didn't invest enough of them and, and they probably weren't the right fit. Um, for what I was doing. And it just felt like years of us kind of languishing um, with, without the right team. And when things really started to take off for us was when we started bringing on people that could do things we couldn't do ourselves or they would do it better. Um, and so now we had our kind of quarterly roundup a, a few weeks ago and I was really happy because uh, I looked around and I was like, man, I don't think I could even get hired at this company. Like everyone who <laughs> does each, you know, the designers are way better than me. The videographers are way better than me. The writers are way better than me. Like I shouldn't touch anything on the sites anymore, even though I used to do almost all of it myself. Um, so it was a great moment, a great realization or transformation. I think we can take that even further as we, as we expand the company more. Um, it changes how we feel every day where I think you go through and if you're just kind of like 
steering the ship. You don't feel like that sense of on a daily basis, like I did something, you know, like a lot of days I, my wife's like, Oh, how was work? I was like, I don't know. I, I worked all day, but I'm not sure what I did. You know? Um, but it's, it's a valuable point. And as I think, you know, we, we aspire to grow, um, to be much bigger from this point and that learning, um, and that mindset, I think is going to be important, uh, more important than ever. So I got another quote for your quote bank. I mean, they, as you were talking, I'm thinking, was that, was it Steve Jobs that said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yes. Yeah. That's that a great quote. Is yeah. It's to hire people that are better than you at whatever you're hiring them to do and, and let them do their job. Yeah, exactly. So let me, let me add, take a, a, another real quick pivot right before I want to shift in and kind of just get out of the way and let you, let you kind of teach us in a, in our micro course segment. But one, one last question I want to talk, I want to ask about how you kind of approach your sites and your businesses. If, if you've identified a site, is it, I mean, do you hire to that team in essence, do you say, okay, we're going to do a site on growing cucumbers now. So mm-hmm. we need, we know we're going to need a videographer, a content writer, a SEO person. We're going to need this, you know, whatever the five components of the team, you know, is or whatever. Do you hire toward that? And, and is it like a, almost a, a never ending scale up? Mm-hmm. I mean, as long as you can identify the sites, you can hire the teams and you can generate the revenue. And I mean, it's just a replicable model, kind of like, almost like your own internal franchise or how do you, how do you decide I mean, you know, how do you make the decision to say, okay, we're going to do one more site now? Um, and it, yes and no. I think that um, that is the general idea. We have a great sense of what t- for a new site, um, but it's not easy to do. Uh, working in these niche audiences, um, you know, you can't just hire someone off the street and have them do a mattress review. Um, it takes a lot of training and effort and, and time themselves just getting familiar with things. And that's true of everything that we do um, where it's, you just can't hire, even if you're a great writer, you can't just come write for our site. Essentially. It takes a lot of time to be really good at it. Um, so you're telling me NYU has a mattressology degree. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd be over there. I'd be over there uh, handing out jobs, but I mean, how do you teach somebody to be an expert on mattresses? Is it you can't you can't you just you make them try a lot of mattresses mm-hmm. and study the materials and read everything and watch everything and you know there's no training course we have uh, and we like for everyone you know we don't teach you what makes a good mattress as much as we teach you how to evaluate it for yourself it's kind of like that's a lot of things we do in our product reviews is we we teach you how to bring your own perspective how do you understand what you value right. in a product uh, in this particular product um, we found that with reviews generally like you hit the 15th one of a similar one and then suddenly you're like, Oh, now I get what makes a good, whatever toaster oven. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to try them all, um, a little bit at least to, to understand it. And so when we, so it's always a little daunting when we think about a new team. Um, and I view my job now as making our current teams really happy because everyone at our company is essential. Uh, if someone walks out the door, there's a big hole, uh, that's not easy to fill. Uh, so, so starting a new team is, is, uh, while we know the roles that we want, it's also, you know, a pretty thorough process to like find the right people that, um, can do the work, can, that want to stick around a long time and that kind of click with each other in the right way. 
Right. I mean, that it seems like that would almost make you a little vulnerable too. I mean, if, if like you have a team member that has a specific key role, you know, everyone on the team has a key role. And if one person kind of falls out, then it, it almost has an adverse effect on the entire team. Or are you cross-trained enough that you can kind of pick up the slack if you have to? Or how do you, how do you guard against that? I think uh, at a creation level where like, yeah, our, our videographers, our designers, they can transfer across pretty well. Um, so if we need someone to fill in, that's easy or e easier. But if it's someone who's actually on camera or writing the content, uh, that you can't just bring on someone from another team. You got right. to like kind of start from the beginning and really train somebody, train some. Well, I, I told you earlier in the, in the uh, chat that I had to rein myself in because I would just continue to ask. I'm like the ever ready bunny of questioning. So I, I can just continue to ask questions, but I really do want to carve out some, some space for you to, to kind of, you know, put your uh, professor hat on and, and teach a, our, our micro course segment. I, I love this segment of the time and, and I am just going to get out of the way and, you know, take the next few minutes and just, just share whatever's on your mind and, and uh, know that, it will be adding value to our audience. Absolutely. Uh, so the thing I'd love to chat on is YouTube um, and specifically how to uh, understand the YouTube algorithm to build a YouTube channel. Uh, YouTube, I think, is the biggest opportunity online right now, which is a weird thing to say because it's been around for a long time, but it's just the most untapped channel out of all of the channels that I operate in. Uh, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to build these niche audiences uh, on YouTube specifically. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it elsewhere also. Like we, we use that as part of our strategy, but I think YouTube for someone that's new is like the best opportunity um, right now. The reason being, cause there's, you know, it's essentially the second largest search engine out there. Um, but no one thinks about it that way. People think about YouTube and they think about, you know, Logan Paul or like YouTube stars that do crazy things or people that vlog and it's based on personality. And there is definitely a personality component, but that doesn't mean you can't take your personality and talk about mattresses, you know, or, uh, or whatever you want to talk about plants. I think it's just an amazing opportunity on YouTube specifically. Um, so if I were someone new starting out, here's how I would approach it um, is one, download a, an extension called keywords everywhere it's a chrome extension and so that lets you see search information both on google but on youtube as well so if you type in you know uh best plants for the bedroom it'll show you how many people a month are searching that don't take it as exact numbers but it's it's um definitely something you can use as a trend and so with that you can google or youtube a bunch of different things and see, hey, what is the actual demand for this specific content? It'll also provide you suggestions where it's like, oh, you're looking for this. Well, here's 20 things that look pretty similar that might have a lot of search, like very, very similar. So if in plants, you can just go down this rabbit hole. I've done it a few times late into the night where I have a thousand plant terms and all of them have 30,000 searches a month and no one's made the videos. And I'm like, someone has to make these videos, but uh, uh, it hasn't been me just um so that's the place to start is just start thinking about these areas and on youtube and start searching around um 
in YouTube with that extension and see what the search is. And you'll start getting a sense of what's a lot of search, what's not a lot of search, where can I really build a channel? And so that takes care of the first pillar, which I said, which is like demand or, or interest. Is there kind of a magic number that you're looking for? I look, what I love to see is like a general search that's like 50 to 100,000 a month. And then a bunch of little searches around that that are like, we'll call it more than a thousand a month. So you can make either one big video that, that tackles all those or a bunch of smaller videos or whatever. Uh, kind of depends <clears throat> exactly on the implementation, but that's generally what I like to see uh, for like a topic or a subtopic. So once you've identified that area and, and I think broadly like, uh, one of my buddies started a, a boot review site and he's got 20,000 subscribers following this exact methodology. It's like boots, men's boots. And he's got 20,000 subscribers. It's a year old uh, and he's doing great. Um, releases one video a week. So it's a lot of work, but it's also, you know, pretty, pretty specific thing, men's boots and like even a subsector of men's boots. And he's got a lot of subscribers like that. Um, so there's, anything you might be interested in, or at least even if you're just willing to investigate, that's kind of my idea. Like, Oh, it'd be fun to learn more about this. And then you review all the products or you analyze all this stuff or do, do different stuff. You know, look, think about it specifically use the keyword tool and identify your interest. So at that point you have your interest um, and you want to outline your video structure and release regularly. So it regularly can mean once a week, once every two weeks, once, every couple days, whatever it means, but try to do something regular and think about it as a year time span where after a year, I wanna hit a certain number of subscribers. In my mind, uh, 10,000 subscribers is a great one for one year if you're like posting regularly. Uh, that's, that's like a really good success rate. If you get like seven after a year, whatever, it's obviously you're on the right track, right? But 10 is a good one to shoot for. Um, and just keep releasing that content. And what's interesting about YouTube as well is generally it's a couple videos that really grow the channel. So um, say I have 20 of those videos I identified as opportunities, and I release those over three months, probably like two of those are gonna be successful, like really, really successful. And the rest will be, will do fine maybe. Um, but you will ride the success of the channel based on just a few videos that go really, really nuts. Um, and there's ways to improve the, the ratio of videos that goes nuts, which I'll talk about next. But so essentially you're making all these videos and if you're great at video, obviously you know what to do. I think the reason that YouTube is so underutilized is that people are intimidated by making videos or being on camera or whatever aspect of it there is. Uh, but these days, so many channels are built with somebody in their iPhone. Like it's not tough to do. Figuring out the editing is not tough or you can outsource it for relatively cheap if you want to do that. Um, you want to make good quality, but it, it doesn't have to be a movie every time. It's more about you just being thoughtful with the content on camera. Uh, that's all you have to do to, to be successful on YouTube. It doesn't have to be cinematic. It doesn't have to be this amazing backdrop or you know the perfect this or that. It's just more about you continually to improve and uh, this was actually the biggest setback, uh, the biggest talking point for me when I was first hiring 
video people is they would want to make one like perfect video and they would spend all this time on it. I'd be like, no, you need, you need, you do need to make a perfect video, but I want it to be like the 50th one that you make. And you need to make a bunch of imperfect videos on the way to that perfect video. You can't just sit here and work on this one video over and over. Exactly um, what creatives do not want to hear. They hate it. They really <laughs> they despise me for it, but, uh, but it's what you have to do on YouTube, especially. Um, and so, uh, so just start making those videos, attacking those keywords as identified by keywords everywhere. And then my biggest value add for, for an advanced YouTuber, but I'll throw it into this beginner course as well, is that the algorithm of YouTube is, is 100% in my mind driven by two things, watch time and engagement on your videos. So watch time just meaning the total number of minutes that are watched on a video and engagement meaning like likes and comments and there's external that's not a hundred percent it but that's that'll get you pretty much there so what you want to do is make videos that are longer because then you get more watch time um so you know the most the longest watch time on a five minute video is five minutes the longest watch time on a 10 minute video is 10 minutes so you have if you make a 10 minute video you have a better chance of beating a five minute video just because yours is longer so it's not a percentage, it's not a ratio of the length of the video. It's not a percentage. I think that's the common, that's a common misconception. Now you do, if you make a 10 minute video and it's terrible and everyone watches 30 seconds of it, then, uh, then, uh, then the five minute video can beat you obviously. So you want to make a 10 minute engaging video. But, um, but length is very, very important just because the actual time on the platform watching your video is what really drives that engagement. So you'll see when we're going after a term, we always try to make videos that are longer than our competitors. Uh, and we try to make them more engaging from during that period as well. We try to do both, but, it ha but that's my, my one rule is like, it has to be longer no matter what. Um, and so, uh, and that's what's driven a lot of success for us as well. So um, when you're looking at those terms, you want to look at videos that uh, look at like, you know, Google or YouTube it and look at the top five results. And if there's a bunch of two and three minute videos and you make a killer five minute video, you're going to be the top video. hundred uh, percent, you know, not like day one, but YouTube will keep moving you up, keep moving you up until, until you're number one there. Um, and so there's a lot of little steps in between, but if you can, you know, just keep publishing videos, keep making them better and making them longer and more engaging you're going to hit that 10,000 subscriber mark, hopefully within a year. And then after you do that, I think you'll have a good sense of how to keep building the channel. That's the, the other important part. You know what your audience wants. Like you should read the comments and see what they respond to, see what they like, see what they don't like. Um, and by the way, just cause they don't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it uh, necessarily. It may, I mean, you know, sometimes that really helps a little controversy, but. Uh, <laughs> Tay Tay says haters going to hate, right? He's going to hate. So that's fine. Um, yeah, our weightlifting channel, there's so much hate on it, but you know, they're watching, so it's fine. Yeah. And that's, I don't mean like do something terrible. It's like they disagree on, sure. you know, the squat depth or whether <laughs> this deadlift style is actually a deadlift or, you know, stuff like that. So, so is, this a, is this a monetization strategy within YouTube itself or is this leading to monetizing this site through the utilization of video? Or so you can monetize youtube directly through ads it's not a great monetization opportunity um i like to think about it where 
YouTube, when it really gets going, you can like pay for your production costs with the YouTube ads, but the rest of it, you need to monetize elsewhere. 10,000 is a good number where you can probably get someone to sponsor your video. Um, you can take that traffic and send it to other places like Amazon or to other affiliate spots. Um, or you can use that audience and like into something else like a website or a podcast or, or something else that's a little more easier to monetize. So that's the downside of YouTube is the money doesn't flow as fast for with the audience, but the audience is easier to get. Um, and in our opinion, it translates very well into, um, success on other platforms, uh, really, really well. Well, Kenny, thank you for uh, sharing your expertise. And I, I mean, this is, this is something that's very practical and, and I think will be very helpful to our audience. And I mean, I, I agree with you. YouTube is a, is an enormous search engine, but it seems like it's, it's like this dichotomy of, of uh, you know, it's, it's so broad, but it's also an underused platform at the same time. I don't know right. how those two things can kind of exist, coexist, but but uh, I would agree with you. And I've heard, you know, many other experts like yourself talk about that very thing about just leveraging the power of YouTube as, you know, the world's second largest search engine. So thank you for sharing that with our audience tonight. Is there, so we wrap up tonight, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you just want to, you know, you have anything else you want to touch on as, and then let us know when, where the best place to find you is. Yeah, I think the, the thing I always say is, uh, you know, it's been an interesting year and in, in New York, I feel like, perhaps a, a bigger part of the general media community than I, than I actually am. But uh, you look at like all these giant sites and they've had a rough year. Um, media and rough year it, is, you know, it's tough to like keep your audience and like you're competing for so many eyeballs and how to monetize and that type of thing. And, and I really believe that um, as content becomes easier and easier to create and, is, and, and we've seen this over the, over the last five, 10 years where, it's kind of democratized content and anyone sure. can come on and make good videos or good podcasts or good websites. Um, maybe eventually good virtual reality experiences or whatever, whatever comes next. Right. Um, so it's a great opportunity for individuals to go out and create content and do what they know or figure something out that they don't know for other people. Um, I believe that those types of, sites and communities and people that do that are going to be the future of media more so than these mega brands that have kind of dominated um the internet for the last 15 20 years and then like you know perhaps even more like newspapers and stuff before that just because the barrier to entry is so uh so much lower now than it ever has been before right. in history well, man, I really appreciate your time tonight. It's just been a great conversation. And I, I, I'd like, I could, I could continue to ask you questions all night long, but, but at some point in time, we've got to go get some sleep. So uh, <laughs> you got to take care of that new baby. But uh, Kenny, thank you for, thank you for just taking the time and, and just sharing with the audience and, and just, you know, answering questions and just being such a fun guest and, and really just playing your part and helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Kenny, have a great evening. Thanks again. All right, you too. Thanks. Thanks.